0: Amen. You may be seated. Turn with me this morning in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, chapter 21. Yes, we've been working through the book of Mark. The Lord has been faithful to speak to us week in and week out from that gospel. But there's an event that occurred some 2,000 years ago today, Palm Sunday, that we're going to look into through the gospel perspective of the apostle, the disciple, Matthew. Matthew. As the Holy Spirit inspired him to record a true, live, and real event in history. As you turn there, I want to start by asking you a question this morning. Do you understand the times that we live in? Do you rightly understand the season of history that we have been graced by God to be given life within? I'm going to tell you this morning that we live in the greatest times of all of history that has happened so far. There is no better time than now to be alive. Doesn't feel that way sometimes, especially if you turn the TV on and look at the news. And if you're in any way, shape or form plugged into our political climate, doesn't seem like the best of times. But we do live in the best of times, and it is absolutely a matter of perspective. And I'm not talking about a human psychology perspective. If we set our eyes on the true reality of the season of history that we live in, we will understand that we live in the best of days. We live in a window that has been open for now some 2,000 years. For you see, we live in a season when we can look back to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is a whole history of people in the Old Testament that lived looking forward to that day, longing for that day, groaning and aching for that day to come. And it came. And we are of the most blessed people in history, and there's a bunch of people with us for these 2,000 years that get to look back to the cross into the empty tomb and by doing so we can look and we can say all is well it is good we live in a season of grace like i said that has existed for almost 2000 years but i'm going to tell you that that season will come to a close that season began with jesus christ coming in the flesh That season came with Jesus on this day some years ago, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt. He came low, he came humble, and he came to die, and we needed that death. But there's a day coming when Jesus will come again mounted on a beast, but it won't be a beast of burden, it will be a beast of war. He will come on a white horse and he will come high and mighty. And he will not come to die, but he will come to judge the living and the dead. At that time, the season of grace that we lived in will be closed and judgment will commence and be rendered for all of eternity. And we live in a spot in time between those two events. Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and Jesus coming back again on a white stallion. We live right there. And it is a good time to be living because if we believe in that first coming, we will be prepared for that second coming. And on that day, we will celebrate, and we will not remorse. So this week, we celebrate as a church family what I said earlier is Passion Week. It begins today as we celebrate the entrance of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, into the city of David, the son of David, into the city of David. And he rides in with one purpose only, to die on Friday and to rise again on Sunday. And so we will celebrate that this week as we worship this morning through his triumphal entry into Jerusalem and as we worship Thursday night, as we remember the upper room where Jesus washed the feet of his disciples and showed them what true love and service looked like and took a supper for the last time with those 12. And then we'll worship on Friday night as we remember some words that Jesus uttered from the cross as he died for us. And we'll gather right here again next Sunday as we celebrate the greatest day ever the day that Jesus made that tomb empty so that we could have victory over sin and over death even in our lives through His sacrificial substitution for us. So here we come this morning to Matthew chapter 21. We will look at verses 1 through 17 and I've got four points of worship for us this morning. We're going to look at four elements of this passage that should stir our hearts to worship Jesus Christ authentically and genuinely. The first is we're going to see that the king himself, Jesus Christ, arranges, he arranges for his coronation as king. Second, we're going to see that the king, after arranging for his coronation, the king is celebrated by the city and by the people as he enters into his town. Third, we're going to see that he then goes and cleanses his temple and purifies it. In a way, symbolic of what he will do later. And then finally, we're going to see that through all of this, he is still opposed and tragically opposed by those that he calls his very own. So that's where we're going this morning. Let's look first at Matthew 21, starting in verse 1. Read along with me. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, humble, and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Let's stop right there and take this first point in. The king arranges for his own coronation. Watch Jesus initiate. Jesus initiates his coronation as king of kings and lord of lords. This is no mob movement that Jesus gets caught up into. Many people have said over history, and it's pathetic, that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. They stuck him on a donkey, and everybody's getting all excited. And he kind of got caught up in all the, the hurrah of the event. And next thing you know, he got murdered on Friday. No. No. Jesus is the sovereign God, God with us. And this text says very clearly that Jesus said to them, you go into the village and bring me a donkey. I've even got the words for you to say to the one who might ask questions. And they're found. You will find them there tied up just as I have said. So he sends two of his disciples. I'd like to know who those two were. Perhaps James and John, the sons of thunder. I I don't know. We're not given that in Matthew's, Mark's, or Luke's Gospels. But he sends these two disciples into a village to retrieve a very specific donkey and her colt and Jesus gives them the divine password, the Lord is in need of them. (laughs) We understand passwords. This was a password that Jesus assigned to these two disciples, and it was the code that the owner of the donkey and her colt would know to be authentic. Why a colt of a donkey? To this point, as we've looked at Jesus' life and we've been blow by blow through the Gospel of Mark, to this point, we have never seen Jesus riding an animal. He has walked everywhere that he's gone. And wouldn't you like to know how many miles those guys traversed? The only time Jesus has been on a donkey documented in Scripture up to this point was when he was in his mother's womb and she rode a donkey to Bethlehem. But he has walked up to this point. First time that we see him on an animal. And he is coronating himself as the king of kings. And so we need to understand why it is that he rides on a donkey's colt. When kings entered cities that they were coming to conquer, the animal that they rode on symbolized what their business was. (laughs) Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, and a donkey was a beast that proclaimed peace to those that were seeing him come into town. The people should not fear a king riding into a town on a donkey. David rode into Jerusalem long ago in Zechariah's book on a donkey. And his message was one of peace. I have not come to destroy you. I have come to deliver you. That was David's message. And I will tell you this morning that that is Jesus' message to these inhabitants of Jerusalem. When a king rides into town on a horse, it's a different message. It's a message of aggression. It's a message of conquering. And it's a message that says to all of the people, you should fear and you should dread this king that's riding into town. And Jesus is not on a horse on Palm Sunday. He's on a beast of burden, a donkey. And what's more, he's on a colt, a colt as Matthew was inspired to write there in verse 5, this was to fulfill the prophecy of the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah 9.9. You put a little note in the margin of your Bible there. This is Zechariah 9.9 happening, and here's what that passage reads. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation Is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey? It was said thousands of years before this moment. And Jesus, in his sovereign moment of coronating himself as king, makes certain that he fulfills Zechariah's prophecy to the letter. And notice what Zechariah wrote. Zechariah 9.9 begins with this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. So this is a a rejoicing moment that Zechariah calls them to. It's not fear greatly, Jerusalem. It's not doom and gloom and dread is upon you. It is no. Rejoice. Why? Look at what Zechariah says in verse 9. "Righteous." And having salvation is he. You rejoice, Jerusalem, because your king comes with salvation and righteousness for you. Not judgment, not wrath. He will receive himself judgment and wrath. So he brings salvation in Zechariah. And here in Matthew, Jesus Christ enters into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt, a beast of burden, bringing to them salvation and righteousness. And they have no idea how he will bring that about. Look now at verse 6. Our second point is that the king is celebrated. Verse 6. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had directed them. So Jesus is calling the shots here. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, them, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna! To the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem. The whole city was stirred up. (laughs) Saying. Who is this? And the crowd said. This is the prophet Jesus. From Nazareth of Galilee. So the crowd's are celebrating the entrance of this king. The disciples, the two that went in with the divine password, the Lord is in need of them, bring this donkey and her colt to Jesus, and he rides the colt into town. Why does he ride the colt instead of the donkey, the mother? Why do we have two animals? Does he ride them? The text says he rides them. He sat upon them. Well, the them is the cloaks that they placed on these beasts. He rode the colt. Why the colt? Well, the colt is a, yes, a beast of burden, a very low and humble animal, a donkey. But this colt is even the lowest of the low because it is a colt, an infant beast of burden. On top of that, this is a colt that has never been ridden before, signifying the the purity of the animal. And signifying the majesty of the rider because he rides one that has never been ridden upon. Jesus, the king of kings, does not get some second-rate used vehicle. He rides this one for the first time, perhaps the only time. Why both, mother and colt, don't know. But a young colt probably needs the steadying presence of a mother. Because there's going to be some loud crowds and a lot happening. And this colt has never been ridden before. So one would presume, perhaps, if we just use our minds, that the mother donkey was brought along to calm this colt who had a massive assignment in history. Now let's look at the crowds. We've talked a lot about the beast. (laughs) Let's look at the people. Just take this in. This is a very, very dramatic moment in history. The crowds respond to Jesus very uniquely. Normal Jerusalem population at this time, there are many people who have studied this, think that perhaps Jerusalem had 30,000 or so people. But this is the week of Passover when pilgrims from all over the region of Israel and even beyond the borders of Israel come into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And some say that the population of Jerusalem during these weeks would swell, and perhaps there might have been 180,000 people in a town that normally accommodates 30,000. Waving palm branches, laying palm branches at the feet of this donkey carrying this king of kings, laying their cloaks down on the ground before him, creating a red carpet, if you will, for this king to enter into town. Why palm branches? Palm branch is a symbol in the Jewish nation of victory. So they are laying victory branches at the feet of this king who is going to conquer and truly be victorious for all of eternity. They're laying cloaks down as a sign of respect. They don't even want the donkey's feet to get dirty for this royal and regal king that's coming in. It's out of reverence and worship and respect. And look at what they say. They say, Hosanna. Hosanna is a Hebrew word carried over into Greek, carried over into English. You are speaking Hebrew when you say Hosea. It's just like the word Amen. That's a Hebrew word. You're using Hebrew when you close your prayers with Amen. Hosanna carries all the way through all the languages. It's not translated into any language. It remains Hebrew. And Hosanna is the Hebrew word for save, I pray. That's what Hosanna means. So they are shouting to Jesus as he rides in on this donkey, save us, we pray. Save us, O Lord, we pray. Psalm 118 25 through 26. Note that in your margin. This is what they are saying. David writes, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that is exactly what these people are saying as Jesus rides into town. So this coronation event this entrance of the king of kings into his city, his city, I'm going to tell you this morning, it doesn't look like any coronation of any king that's ever happened in humanity. The pomp and ceremony of all the coronation services of all the kings in the history were elaborate. But this one, plain and simple. No white stallion, no sword, no No crown, no shield, no royal robes, no entourage of soldiers and warriors. There's a warrior. He's on a war horse, but it's not like anything humanity has ever seen because this warrior came to be killed. And this warrior rode a lowly donkey. Broken tree branches are laid down on the ground. Old cloaks are thrown down for the red carpet. This does not look like Nebuchadnezzar's coronation, I'll guarantee you, from the book of Daniel. This doesn't even look like David's coronation or Solomon's. This looks nothing like even what we've seen in the Bible to this point in Kings being coronated, and placed on their thrones. This brings to mind, again, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. This looks foolish. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. This looks weak. God chose the low and despised things of the world, even the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. This is 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29 happening. Because the king of kings riding in on a donkey with broken tree branches thrown on the ground is absolutely weak foolishness. And I'm going to tell you this morning that it was the boldest and the strongest thing Jesus Christ could have ever done on that Palm Sunday. Because he's marching his way into this town to die on a hill. So that he could be a conquering king. We do the same as a church. Let's be very honest. What we do when we gather as a congregation is we open a book. And we go into this book and we revere these words as being the very words of God. And we gather together regularly and we have a very simple service of worship. This is not elaborate. It's not decked out with all kinds of bells and whistles. We worship with genuine hearts from the genuine word of God. Our God didn't have a laser light show when he rode into Jerusalem. He was low and he was humble and he was reverent for God the Father. So we as Christians around the world, we're a simple people. We worship God at his word in simple ways that he's prescribed in his word. Through singing, yes. Through getting wet in a baptistry, yes. And through the preaching of the word, a word that is never outdated and never changes. So we are, even as we gather together, mimicking our king who rode into his city. So they are actually in this moment by laying these branches down and placing their cloaks down and yelling at the top of their lungs, Hosanna, save us, we pray. They are praying to their king. They are praying. They are certain that he is the Messiah. Their behavior shows this. They know that there's one from the Old Testament that's promised that will come and will conquer. And they're saying, even though it doesn't look like what we thought, this is the Messiah, Hosanna, save us. Do what you are promised to do in the Old Testament. So they're praising Him as the one who will rescue them from bondage. But here's where it gets awry in these people's hearts and minds. In their immediate context... They are expecting to be saved from the Roman government. Caesars. And I'm going to tell you this morning, they didn't realize it at that moment. And this is why we live in the greatest time in human history. We do realize it at the moment. These people need to be saved from something far more powerful and far more dangerous than some Roman government made up of human beings. They need to be saved from sin. And death that comes with sin. They are in bondage, yes. They are occupied, yes. But not by a human government. They are in bondage and occupied by the principalities of darkness and evil. They need to be saved from something far more ominous than Caesar, they need to be saved from the works of Satan that started long ago in the Garden of Eden. They need to be saved from their own fallenness. They need to be saved from sin and death. And that is why Jesus is on a donkey's colt riding into town. (laughs) He is going to do that, and they are asking him to do that, but he's going to do it in a way that they would have never drawn up in the sand if they were drawing a play that was about to be run. Now, one final note before we move on. This all happened on a very unique day in traditional Jewish life. For this Sunday, this Palm Sunday, it's the Sunday, the first day of the week, the first day of the Passover week. On this day, it was customary for Israelites to go and select their Passover lamb that they would sacrifice on Friday. Thank you, sir. And so they made the selection on this Sunday and set that lamb aside for Friday when they would slaughter it and sacrifice it for their sins. And that is the day that Jesus rides in to town. He is, in effect, selecting himself to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Wow. And he's doing it on his schedule. We have seen throughout the book of John, his hour had not yet come. His hour had not yet come. Jesus now knows and is delivering his hour to the moment, to the perfect moment, when it will be here and he will do what he came to do, and that is to die. So as I look at this text, I pondered in my own heart, what is this, what is this application for me? And so I asked myself yesterday or Friday, Have I said to Jesus, Hosanna, (laughs) save me, I pray. Have I said that to Jesus? And the answer quickly was, yes, I have. Stephanie Horton has said to Jesus Christ, Hosanna. You didn't know you said Hosanna, Stephanie, did you? But this morning you've learned, you've said, save me, I pray. And Jesus responded by saving you. And if you are a believer here this morning, you have said those words to Jesus Christ. But if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ yet as Savior and Lord, I am going to invite you to consider the reality of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to plead with you, while we live in this window of opportunity, this season of grace before He comes again, now is the time to say to Jesus Christ, Hosanna! Save me, I pray. Now is the time. And I would ask you to join those of us in this room that have said that. And then go and tell others that he is the one that can answer your prayer. Hosanna. Number three, this king, he has established his coronation. He has been celebrated. Now, number three, this king is going to go into his temple and cleanse it. Pick up with me now in verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Matthew continues by telling us that upon entering Jerusalem, Jesus goes into the temple of God. He's got business to take care of there. Now, the location of this event is not in the temple area where animals are sacrificed. This is out in the large Courtyard. It's referred to as the Court of the Gentiles. It's a large open area. Remember, I've told you that Passover pilgrims have come from all kinds of distances. And in so traveling, they are unable to carry with them the animals that they would use for sacrifice on the Passover. And so here we have in the temple courts vendors who are opportunists. They're selling animals to traveling worshipers. The money changers are in there. They're changing and exchanging monies into the currency that is required in Jerusalem to pay temple taxes, to give offerings. Now, these services are necessary. You, you do need the right currency to worship rightly in the temple in Jerusalem. You do need animals to sacrifice at the Passover. These are worthy services that these vendors are providing. Jesus' problem is not with what they are doing. His problem is where they are doing it. And it tells us this straight up. Verse 13, He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of robbers. First of all, that is God speaking in Isaiah 56, 7. Jesus quotes God in Isaiah 56, 7. My house shall be called a house of prayer. So we see a glimpse of the deity of Jesus Christ. But he says it should be a house of prayer. And they've made it a den of robbers. The temple of God was being corrupted with evil. And it is a place that is only to be reserved for holy, righteous worship of God. The temple was holy and to be reserved for prayer, Jesus says. It was a place for people to come... And to deny themselves and to honor God. These vendors are profiting themselves by selling animals. And the money changers probably charging a little side fee. You go to the ATM and it's $250 to get $40 in cash, right? They're charging ATM fees in the temple courts. Personal gain, profiteering. On holy ground. It was not a place for personal gain. It was a place for self-denial. So let's pause for a moment and let's get this. Today, where is the temple of God? Many people erroneously think it's in this building. That this is a temple of God. That's not accurate. In the new covenant, after Jesus has died and resurrected, the temple of God is right in here. In every person that believes in him through his son, Jesus Christ. So it's no longer a geographic architectural structure. The temple of God is in our hearts. This is where God is to reside. This is where God is to be worshipped. And it is within our hearts and from our hearts that we pray to God. So as believers in Jesus Christ, our hearts are to be houses of prayer. Our hearts are to be reserved for God. We are not to give our hearts over to the things of the world because God is a jealous God. And it's not sinful for Him to be jealous. He desires all of us. And what He wants is good for us. (laughs) We want Him to be jealous for our hearts. It's good for us that God would only want us to give our hearts to only Him. It's a good jealousy. He's the only one that can be jealous and it be right. Not sin for him because he is preeminent over all. And so he wants our hearts to be pure. Today, as I have said, begins our observance of Passion Week, our Holy Week. We begin it today. The events of this week are the most significant you and I will ever observe save for that day when Jesus does come again on a white horse. Triumphal entry today. Thursday, the upper room and the washing of the feet and the Last Supper. Friday, the cross where He dies in our place. Sunday, the empty tomb where He overcomes sin and death forever for those who will believe. Massive week in our calendars. We get it every year until He comes again. And so as we remember these events... This week, the Lord calls us to have clean and pure hearts that are wholly devoted to Him. He does not want our hearts polluted and corrupted with personal gain this week. He wants our hearts to be houses of prayer. And that prayer, first for all of us, is Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save me, O Lord. Our hearts should say that. We must not let our hearts this week be devoted to evil. Our hearts do not need to be polluted with unforgiveness, lust, covetousness, slander, Idolatry, pride, if that's in us this week, Jesus, through texts like this, comes in and turns the tables of your heart upside down and gets a whip and drives out pride and lust. And he says, I want that heart this week to be wholly devoted to me through prayer. By doing so this week, you will become stronger for every week. We don't do this just for these next seven days. But we get these next seven days to tune our hearts to become houses of prayer to God through Jesus Christ, so that the week after next and the one after that and the one after that, we're more, we're more inclined to be wholly devoted. To worshiping our Christ. So this is a week that we get to tune up and strengthen our devotion to Christ so that on the other side of this coming week we will be further down that road than we were last week. And we will continue to work through that in the weeks and months to come, and then we get another refresher one year from now when we go through this week again. It's the Lord's provision to purify our hearts. And ready us for his second coming. Lastly, look at verse 14. The king is opposed. This is a tragic passage. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David! They were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared. leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. Finally the scene here shifts not to the crowds proclaiming Hosanna, but to the select few religious leaders, the chief priests, so this is Caiaphas, and what? His father-in-law. And Anna, and I. Yeah, Annas. Those are the two that are living, we think, at this time. So that's the chief priests, and then the scribes, the interpreters of the law. And what do they say? <laughs> they say to Jesus, "Do you hear what these are saying?" Just scolding, grumpy. Grumpy old men. They've allowed the temple and the temple courts to be corrupted by this personal vendor gain of selling and exchanging. They did it because they themselves had corrupted hearts. Their corrupted hearts are exposed right here when they question Jesus on what these little ones are saying. They urge Jesus by that statement to shut these children down because what they are uttering is blasphemous. They're saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. How dare them say such? Straighten them out, Jesus. Do not let them continue. I, I picture in this, I just picture children in the courts running around and skipping, singing, Hosanna to the Son of David, happy. Mom and Dad are happy because they've been saying, Hosanna to the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The kids are happy, skipping. And these grumpy scribes and chief priests want them to shut up. Because that's blasphemy. You, Mr. Jesus, you better set them straight. They did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Tragically, many to this very day do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. After all, he has not come into Jerusalem as they expected. Donkeys, colt, broken tree branches, dirty old cloaks. No royal entourage. It's meek, modest, humble, dirty. Common. Jesus replies with yet another Old Testament passage. By the way, Jesus, when he's tempted by Satan in the wilderness right after his baptism, bang, 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 three tests, responds with Scripture three times. Through this whole triumphal entry process, we've seen Jesus do nothing but go Old Testament on all these people. And here he goes to Psalm 8, specifically verse 2. Let me read verse 1 to set it. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Verse 2. You have set your glory above the heavens. Now verse 2. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. So God in Psalm 8 will use the mouths of infants and babies to praise himself, God. And here they're praising God himself in the flesh, Jesus Christ. These chief priests and these scribes do not like what these children are shouting and singing and celebrating. So much so that these chief priests, along with many of the people that they will pollute with their unbelief, will five days from now, be shouting something at Jesus Christ. But it is not Hosanna. It is not save us, we pray. They will be shouting at the top of their lungs. Crucify Him! Give us Barabbas! Free Him! But crucify Jesus the Christ! And oddly enough, oddly enough, this is what brings salvation to those who proclaim Hosanna them yelling on Friday crucify him will be the yes of God's response to the people who say save us we pray the yes is what the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees and people that follow them shout on Friday and that is crucify him so that they don't know this but so that we saved so this morning I would ask you do you see Jesus for who he really is you know we have people in our modern times that do not see Jesus rightly they see him as a wise man kind of like Confucius who had a lot of good sayings they see him as a moral leader who was humble and we ought to just be humble like him But many in our day do not see him as the regal and royal king of kings and lord of lords. Just like these scribes and chief priests and their followers. So this morning, I urge you to look into these scriptures. And to see Jesus Christ for who he really is. The Messiah. The promised one of God. And he was promised to come and to die in your place. And if you believe in that, your sins will be forgiven because he will bear the burden of the penalty of your sins. And that is death. And we'll look at that this Friday night very intentionally. And you need to believe that God raised him from the dead three days later next sunday resurrection sunday and in so doing he set us free as josh preached some 2 or 3 weeks ago it's an exodus where like moses led us out of bondage in egypt jesus christ leads us out of bondage to sin and death prepare your hearts today for next thursday and friday and sunday So with this, I conclude. Jesus rode into town on a donkey's colt. This is not the method that these people at that time, or even that we would expect today and left our own logic, would think would be the entrance of a king into delivering his people. They were more expecting what we read over in Revelation 19. Just consider the contrasts of these two passages. In Revelation 19, turn with me there, that's worth looking at together this morning. Revelation 19, starting in verse 11, we're going to read what the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests and the common, traditional Israelite Jew was expecting for their Messiah. And the truth is, they're going to get it. (laughs) They just didn't get it 2,000 years ago, but this is what they will get, and we will get one day. So Revelation nineteen eleven. John writes, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. Not a donkey, not a colt. A white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And those titles are capitalized. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. Oh boy, we've got royalty here, don't we? And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. No palm branches here, no cloaks. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. So now we've got the crown and the sword of a conquering king. From which he strikes down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We live in the greatest of times in human history. Oh, please see that we do. We live in the time after Jesus rode humbly into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt, Not with royal robes and crowns and a sword to strike down His enemies. He's not dipping His robe in blood of His enemies that He has slayed. No, He came in peacefully. In fact, He came in to be slayed Himself. And the only blood that was going to be on Him was His own. But there's a time when He will come again. And he will be on a horse and his robe will be dipped in the blood of those that do not believe in him. And he will strike them down with the sword. His name is the word of God and he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And when that day comes, listen to me, when that day comes, it will be too late to say Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It'll be too late. Because if you haven't said it by then, you will not be saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You will be saying instead what Jesus said on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at that time, it will be too late to pledge allegiance to this king. We live In the greatest of times, we live in a window, a season of history where we can say, save us, O Lord. Blessed is your name and he will do so. Please do not wait. For the day when it's too late and the scriptures tell us that day could come at any moment. Let's pray. Oh, Father. Father. <clears throat> Thank you for having Matthew, Mark and Luke and even John in some degrees record this event. We praise you that we can look into history and we can see a real day that happened some 2000 years ago where people proclaimed hosanna save us. And we see that 5 days later you did by having Jesus Christ die on a cross and to save people from their sins. And by raising Him on that third day, next Sunday, bondage is broken. Freedom is given. Because sin and death have been conquered by resurrected, born-again Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that those in this room that believe in this Jesus would worship more authentically this week for having looked at this event in Scripture. And that by doing so, they would be more and more pure in their hearts in the days and weeks and months and years to come should you wait for more time. Father, I, I know every time that we gather, there are people in our midst that do not yet believe in this Jesus. We welcome them here. We're so thankful that You've brought them here. And now, Father, as You have delivered this message from Your Scriptures only through my voice, raspy that it is, I pray that You would use it to turn their hearts to be hearts of prayer to You. And that prayer would be, Hosanna, save me, Father, with Your Son, Jesus Christ. That's what we want as a result of this morning deeper hearts authentically worshiping you and new converted hearts to join us in singing your praises and declaring your goodness. So Father, would you accomplish that this morning? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There is an invitation from the Bible here. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ, the invitation is to prepare your hearts to become a house of prayer for Him. God does want you to say to Him, Hosanna, save me. If you need help uttering those words, I would be more than privileged to sit with you and walk you through that. If you do this morning say that prayer to Jesus, you must share that. Stephanie shared it with us this morning. And she shared it, as Josh said, because another young lady last year shared it. And that's how the kingdom of Christ grows. People saying, Hosanna. So say those words this morning and come to me. Come to Josh this morning or this next week. And we'd be glad to help you through that.